0: Emerging markets are typically associated with the potential for strong growth, but over the past decade, a number of emerging markets' equity income funds have also launched. These include J.P. Morgan Global Emerging Markets Income Trust, which is managed by today's guest, Omar Negiel. Omar, how does the level of income from emerging markets compare to that of Asian equity income, another non-traditional but promising source of dividends, and what are the prospects for emerging markets equity income in the years ahead?
1: There's actually a, a, a decent overlap between the two. Um, so Asia is obviously a subset of emerging markets. So from an emerging market point of view, we can invest in emerging Asia, but also take advantage of the positive op- income opportunities in places like Latin America, Eastern Europe, the Middle East and Africa. So I, I, would, I would think of it as a very broad approach to um, clearly the emerging markets universe.
0: Are any particular emerging markets, countries or sectors, uh, good sources of dividends?
1: Yes, I think when we look across emerging markets, so I mean, firstly, I'd say, broadly speaking, I'd say there's been a positive dividend culture that's developed. So we can think about a payout ratio on average of about 35% for the asset class, and that's been remarkably stable for many, many years, which is a good starting point. But when we look at the different markets, it's, it's pretty clear to me that when we're looking for good income opportunities, we can think about certain markets which do lend themselves to dividends more than others. So I could think of a few examples, Brazil, South Africa, parts of the Middle East, Taiwan, and increasingly China. Um, These are all areas where there are, I think, better dividend opportunities than, than the average emerging market. And and there's all sorts of different reasons for that. Um, from from legal ones, you know, in, in Brazil you have to you have to pay at least twenty five percent of your earnings as dividends, so that's quite a nice starting point. Or markets like South Africa, um, or Taiwan where it's much more about the management teams. So we see high quality management teams that want to pay dividends, or parts of the Middle East where it's just a, a demand from investors. Investors there, local investors there like dividends.
0: You mentioned China, and according to your last fact sheet, you actually have over a quarter of your assets in China. Now, I, and perhaps my, some of my listeners, may have associated this equity market more of growth than income. So why, why are income opportunities good in, in China?
1: I do think that partly that's a perception issue, um, and we can probably broaden that, that out to a lot of emerging markets, that, that emerging markets has historically been perceived as much more of a purer growth play, but certainly over the last 10 years or so, it has become also an asset class that's that's very appropriate for income. And I think China's a great example there where, again, we see pretty consistent levels of dividend payouts from companies. So that, that, that makes it a, a good area for, for us to be looking at. I think the other positive thing to say here is that China's basically a very large, broad market. So yes, there are going to be parts of the Chinese market that aren't appropriate for us. And, and if they're not appropriate, we won't invest in them. But equally, there's lots of other areas where we can find just the right kinds of companies for dividends and growth potential in those dividends over the coming years.
0: Okay. Now, like you said, China is very large and broad. And not only does it encompass many sectors, it actually encompass many different types of shares. So in terms of the equity income you're getting, are you looking more at domestic listed A shares or perhaps are you looking to Hong Kong shares or some of the other many classes of shares that you find on various Chinese markets?
1: We we take quite a diversified approach. Um, Historically, we had invested mainly in Chinese companies listed in Hong Kong. But over the last few years, we've been increasingly taking advantage of the opening up of the A share markets uh, via the Connect scheme um, through Hong Kong. So that means we're now, we can now invest in companies listed in Shanghai and Shenzhen. And, and for me, that's a great um, opportunity to, to look for what I think are very exciting income opportunity, opportunities in China. The, the good thing about the Chinese A-share market is, again, it, it's the breadth and depth of, of, of stocks there. So it's just easier for us to find the kinds of companies that we're looking for, companies that have good returns, good cash flows, and very crucially, positive dividend policies.
0: What sort of sectors and areas of industry are you finding particularly good opportunities?
1: Well, two broad areas I'd I'd, I'd identify in China today are the consumer space, um, and that is especially within the Chinese A-shares, and also financials. And and I'd highlight insurance as an area that's very interesting. And really what links a lot of these opportunities are, I would describe them as domestic consumption upgrade stories. So they're, they're areas where, Consumers are spending more, there tends to be a penetration story, and we can find good companies with, with decent market positions and good management teams that, that can take advantage of that.
0: Okay, and what would be some examples of portfolio holdings in these areas?
1: Sure. Let's say within the consumer space, and these are A-share listings, um, I'd, I'd mentioned two names. So one of them is Meidi, which is a Chinese white goods manufacturer. So it makes... Washing machines, air cons, dishwashers, all the kinds of home appliances that, that a Chinese consumer wants. And it's, it's very well positioned because it's one of three large domestic companies in China in this area. Um, if you're a Chinese consumer, you don't buy foreign brands here, you, you buy a domestic brand. Uh, and this domestic these domestic brands are, are well positioned in terms of generating good profits from from the area and and, and we see the Chinese consumer as in an upgrade potential for for all these products. So it's a company where we think there's a long runway for for, for growth in 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 the sector. Um, it's a company that generates high returns on capital, which is always something that we're very interested in, and a company that generates cash and very importantly has a good track record of paying out that cash or some of that cash in terms of dividends to, to shareholders. So we look at about, around about a 40% dividend payout ratio. And so that that to me is exactly the kind of stock that we want to be buying for for the income trust because it's a stock around about a 3% yield today, but where there's a good prospect for that dividend to grow over time.
0: Because of your high allocation to China, have US-China trade tensions been detrimental to the trust's returns?
1: I think it's fair to say that China-US trade tensions have affected all of emerging markets and certainly we saw that last year um, especially in the second half of 2018 when, when there was a downturn in, in, in emerging markets overall and, and, the, and the trust didn't completely escape that. Overall the kinds of companies that we invest in tend to be relatively more stable, more cash flow generative, that, that cushion of yield is clearly helpful in weaker environments and, and we saw that last year. Um, but from an absolute basis, clearly, yes, it, 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 was, it was a more challenging environment. I, I think the other thing to say here, though, is that also that that does throw up a lot of interesting opportunities for us. So although clearly from a narrative point of view, China looked pretty difficult last year, it was actually a time when we added a significant amount to our Chinese exposure through especially the second half of 2018. Buying some of those Chinese A shares, which I mentioned earlier, or some of the Chinese financials, which again looked, which again looked pretty interesting. And really, the way I would describe it is, these were these are good companies that we had identified previously. How we would describe them as quality companies, and clearly producing good dividends. We still see those dividends being generated through what is a volatile time, and those stocks got cheaper. So I was very happy to, to take advantage of that valuation opportunity and add to our add to our holdings in China during that period.
0: Okay, and have you been able to do any of that this year at all?
1: After the weakness in second half of 2018, what we've actually seen in the first half of 2019 has been a bounce back in emerging markets overall. So I think markets have begun to anticipate some kind of resolution to, to these trade tensions. And, and obviously, a lot can still happen. We need to see what comes through, but that, that seems to be what markets are anticipating. But that rise in markets this year means that actually there's been in some ways, fewer of these valuation opportunities. So we've actually changed the portfolio relatively little. It's been a relatively stable portfolio um, this year. What The one area we have um, seen opportunities is in the semiconductors area, particularly in Taiwan. That's been an area that we have been adding to during the year, again, just topping up on existing positions in, in high-quality dividend-paying companies.
0: And what would be an example of one of those?
1: So I'd highlight um, Taiwan Semiconductor, um, that's one of our largest positions in in, in the portfolio, a, a premium company. So a really good company in terms of its dominance in its own semiconductor industry, a company that's had a very, very good history of generating high returns on capital, which is always something that we're very interested in, and a company where the dividend has become increasingly important. So clearly we like the fact that it, we think the profitability outlook for this company is very good, despite the, the, the near-term volatility, what we also really like is that earlier on in the year, the management team committed to a much more steady dividend outlook going forwards in terms of absolute dividend per share. And that to us was very supportive um, for the investment case. So, so that's the kind of company I'm very happy to, to, to be adding to in, in in difficult times.
0: You mentioned um, things looking a bit better this year, but I think many people would consider emerging markets just generally to be a risky area. So what would you say are the main risks that emerging markets generally face at the moment? And to what, if any extent, do they affect your particular portfolio holdings?
1: I think it's always right to highlight that, that emerging markets is a, is a riskier area um, in, in terms of equities. I think there are three risks that I'd identify at the moment. One of them you've, you've clearly highlighted, which is the trade tensions. Um, and that doesn't just apply to China. We've, we've seen issues around Mexico as well, for example. And these issues, as they, as they come and go, do impact both corporate confidence in terms of investment opportunities um, or, or capital expenditure from those companies, and it does also impact consumer confidence. So I think that those kinds of issues arising from the trade tensions are, are one risk we need to monitor. Related to that is the trajectory of the Chinese economy. Not just because China is very important on its own, but because it it really is the engine of growth for the rest of emerging markets. So so that's something that we want to continue to monitor in in, in terms of a risk. And I think the third risk I would always talk about is currencies. So we, you know we need to be very aware that we are investing in stocks that are listed and 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 um, obviously listed in multiple different markets, generating earnings and generating dividends from different currencies. Um, which we're translating back into sterling. And that's something that we explicitly think about, but it's also a good risk to highlight to to, to shareholders.
0: Do you hedge at all?
1: We don't hedge. We take explicit views on the currencies of the um, stocks that we're investing in, and, and we do that on a multiple-year view. We, we Everything we do is on a five-year time horizon. Um, and essentially, the, the way we think about it is, for those currencies which we would potentially want to hedge, those tend to be the ones that are prohibitively expensive to hedge so it's just better not to be there so we just want to focus on those opportunities where the currency risk is is lower effectively
0: no we've been talking about emerging markets but do you ever invest in any off benchmark areas outside emerging markets
1: the focus for this um, for the, for the trust is emerging markets so we we want to invest in emerging market stocks we do invest in emerging market stocks that aren't necessarily in the benchmark so mm. so we're not we're definitely not a benchmark driven portfolio and so, for example, I'd point to our active share versus our versus the emerging markets index, where our, our active share is close to ninety percent. So, so clearly, we're doing something that's very different from the benchmark, as, as it were. And that's something that I'm very, I'm very, very comfortable with. We we have a we have a very clear focus on dividend paying stocks only. Um, we have a very clear process in terms of identifying them. We're going to be different. I think the other thing to say is that often we are quite early investors in markets. Before they be, might become more mainstream so Chinese a shares is a good example we, we were investing in China a shares back in 2015 so, so very early on when when foreigners began to have access we we built up our research capability and, and and we got invested they've only just gone into the benchmark this year so those are the kinds of examples um, I'd, I'd add into that places like Saudi Arabia or or the UAE in the Middle East.
0: Are These, by definition, frontier markets rather than emerging markets.
1: The thing to hear is to highlight is that over time they've become they've become defined as emerging markets. But as long as we have the research capability and the and the analysis on those stocks, and we're comfortable with liquidity around them, then then we're comfortable to invest. And really, my universe of stocks, when I when I think about it, is ultimately it's it's not driven by the benchmark. It's driven by what our research coverage is. And that's, I think that's something that we have you know, We have a lot of strength and, and, and depth in because we have 40 analysts on the team researching 1,100 stocks across emerging markets, whether they're in the benchmark or not. So these are all emerging market and Asian stocks. And for those 1,100, it, it, you know, some of those clearly are going to be suitable for income and, and that's my pool of stocks to, to, to build the portfolio from.
0: What would be perhaps examples of some of these less mainstream holdings?
1: So I think historically, when when I look back, places like Saudi Arabia or the UAE would have been examples. Today, probably the the most sort of esoteric investment we have is um, one equity holding that we have in Kenya, where we hold a a, a bank stock, um, and that's that's obviously off benchmark. But otherwise, most of our investments are in in the more mainstream emerging markets today.
0: JP Morgan Global Emerging Markets Income trust has increased its dividend in respect of its last financial year, but for the previous five years it kept it at the same level. Do you expect to be able to increase it in the current financial year and raise it in future years?
1: So when we look back, I think it's fair to say that the last five years have been a pretty challenging period for emerging markets. So I think over the very long term, emerging markets have clearly delivered dividend growth. But we've been in a period of the economic cycle where it has been difficult for for emerging market companies in, in aggregate to to grow dividends. And actually, we had a period when emerging market dividends went down during the last few years. So obviously, during that period, I think we're we're pretty comfortable with the fact that we've been able to hold the um, the dividend flat and 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 as you say, increase it in in the last year. I can't really give in any specific guidance around um, dividends for this financial year. I think. Clearly, the aspiration in the long term is that is that we want to invest in companies which have, firstly, sustainability in terms of dividends. And, and we're also looking for companies that have the potential to grow dividends in the long term. And that, that's how I describe the, the long term goal.
0: Okay. Um, I suppose just more generally, how much importance do you place on generating an income? And how much importance do you place on capital growth as, as part of your total return when you're managing the trust?
1: Both are important. So I'm looking for a balance between income and growth for, 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 for the portfolio. What I specifically don't want to do is take those 1,100 stocks that we cover, um, rank them by dividend yield and go and buy the top 70 or 80 stocks because that that I think the danger of that is that it leads us into yield traps, bad balance sheets, risky propositions, etc. So really we want to build a portfolio that has a good balance between the yield and and growth potential every stock has to have has to provide income though so I th- I, you know for, for an income portfolio i think it's very important that every stock does have a yield and does contribute to the income of of, of the portfolio every year
0: do you have a, a minimum yield level um, that you expect
1: so the way i think about it is you can think about the portfolio being divided into three buckets so we have a uh, a target yield bucket, which is the largest part of the portfolio around about 60%. So about 60% of the portfolio would be between 3 and 6% dividend yields. Um, so those are stocks that in our eyes are still cheaper than the market from a yield perspective, but they have the long-term prospects of still being able to grow dividends at, at, at a decent rate. And on either side of that target yield zone, we'll have stocks that are either higher yield than that, so it's greater than 6%, probably with lower growth, and also some stocks which are less than three percent yield, but where we see a superior dividend growth profile. As I say, the min- every stock has to have it has, has to have a yield. Today, practically the the lowest yield in the portfolio is about one point five percent.
0: So, what other attributes of a stock do you assess, um, other than the yield, before adding um, a potential investment to a the portfolio?
1: There's clearly a number of different factors that we look at, and we've got a very robust research process. I think I'd identify three. Key areas that that I'm always thinking about. Three key questions, if you like, that I'm always asking our analysts or or asking companies when when we meet them, and that's around firstly return on equity. So we want to we want to invest in companies that are highly profitable and where we have conviction that that profitability can last for a long time. The second point is around free cash flow generation. So we want to invest in companies that that can generate a healthy level of free cash flow. You know, clearly you can't pay dividends sustainably without without generating cash and the third key point is dividend policy so developing a very clear understanding of not just the ability but the willingness of companies to, to pay dividends in, in, in the long term and that last point is actually very very important because you, you've mentioned earlier that emerging markets has a lot of risks um, and, and one of the risks in emerging markets is the companies that we invest in that, that they're at a different stage and I make almost a direct link between payout ratios, the so dividend payout ratios, and governance. So in my, in my view, by looking for companies where there's a clear view to return cash to shareholders every year, that's a, that's a pretty important signal from management in terms of the treatment of minority shareholders, their confidence in the business, and so on. And so it's a way of finding the right kinds of stocks to invest in, in, in emerging markets. So those three key points, really, return on capital... Free cash flow and dividend policy; those are the three key areas I'm always looking at.
0: What could be reasons for you selling a stock out of a trust?
1: I generally talk about three three reasons to sell a stock. The first, and in some ways simplest, is its valuation. So yield is clearly a an important criteria for us. As a stock re rates, it becomes more expensive. If if the yield declines, you know significantly, then uh, we would look to incrementally sell that position, um, and that 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 can be quite a slow process. But but over time, we'd we'd sell out as the valuations increased. The second reason would simply be that we we got our in, in investment thesis wrong. So we're not going to get every decision right. I work very closely with the analysts to, to to review all these positions as we think that our investment thesis is changing. That that is a reason for me to sell a stock. And the third, and in some ways clearest reason, but also relatively rare, is if we have a dividend payout disappointment. So we set a lot of store by dividend policy. If a company surprises us in a negative way in terms of the payout, and, and we can't really understand why that's happening, or, or we don't like the reasons for it, um, that is a trigger for me to sell the stock. So those are the three key reasons, really. But, but I think it's, it's always important to highlight that overall, this is a relatively stable portfolio. So, we take long term views on stocks. Once we find good dividend stocks, we want to hold them to, to receive the dividends. So, our holding period tends to be around about five years.
0: Funds which pay an attractive income, uh, make good returns, quite often trade on a premium to net asset value. But despite the fact you've beaten MSCI Emerging Market Index over the past year and you offer a nice yield, but uh, you're trading at a, a 5% discount to net asset value. How come?
1: Clearly, the, the discount varies over time. I think partly it's a reflection of probably just uncertainty around the asset class. We, as, as some of the things we've discussed around trade tensions, etc., that does affect how people view the asset class itself. I mean, if we look back just a few months, the trust was trading at a premium to NAV. So clearly, these things change over time. And, and our average discount to NAV over the last five years has been about just over 2.5%.
0: Okay, thank you, Omar. A really interesting insight into emerging markets equity income and a helpful update on JP Morgan Global Emerging Markets Income Trust. That brings us to the end of today's interview. But for more on emerging markets equity income, see the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk. Thank you for listening.